0: comic book pit okay
1: Podcast should be no uh, shorter than Jim Ruggs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a requirement. <laughs> it wouldn't happen any other way. <laughs>
2: yeah, we talked with Jim for a good. That yeah, was uh, a good bit. We yeah, always, we always a half, have a at least. yeah. We always have a good talk with Jim. Yeah.
1: In some yeah, respects, it it's the reason I'm here because I was listening to the to the program and it was one of those conversations that i kind of wanted to participate in yeah. you know i yeah. kind of wanted to jump into my <laughs> computer man with gordon Soli comes up <laughs> comics rob liefeld yeah. yeah and and you know the uh, 80s black and white boom yeah why I'm am not i not a part of yeah, that conversation exactly. yeah
2: exactly well we're,
1: we've been talking, so we're just going to. We're here, right? Well, we're just here. I mean, we're we're gonna, in. There's no big intro or anything. Oh. Well, let's get into things. Yeah,
0: man. <laughs> I'm, oh, just, okay. I'm sorry. There is an intro, though. Yes, there <laughs> is. So, <laughs> I, I just let people know
2: that they're, you know, they're watching and listening to Comic Book Pit. I mean, I'm Dan. That's Scott. Yeah, I'm confused. Either one. It's our it's our guest. It's it's Ed. He's <laughs> he's he's be, he's bedazzled me. Is that what happened? That's, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you say it enough times, I'll start to believe it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, no, we got. Uh, our, uh, our friend our buddy Ed Pisker in the studio yeah. tonight. Ed, thanks for being here, man.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. You know, I uh, as a, as a proper cartoonist, I made sure to get here uh, plenty of time ahead of my deadline, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So so I was here an hour early. Oh crap! And no no no, it's, it's okay. like that's how I roll, kind of. I've never late. Um, and I was actually kind of lamenting the 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 '90s in a way because if if it was like, say, 1998 or 1995 or something, if I, if I was here, I would mm-hmm. be able to uh, bust out the yellow pages and, and there probably would be some kind of comic shop, some sort of mm-hmm. Erzatz comic shop, you know, some guy's yeah. Yeah. basement where he's, you know, <laughs> selling a little bit of his comic yeah. collection or right. something like that. I like, uh, But, of course, there's nothing in the neighborhood, but I did wander around a little bit okay, and I had no idea that there's like a special effects uh, kind of... Mm -hmm. workshop just up the block there so i wandered in there and was checking things out i was was attracted by as i was walking by there was a there was a human male trunk uh that that's been quartered of its (laughs) limbs right right in the doorway with uh uh you know body hair and all sorts of things it's very attractive from the road so (laughs) so i I had to wander in and and just check out the scene they showed me around a little bit it's incredibly cool this is an amazing area
0: yeah yeah for
1: sure.
2: Yeah, Beachview is kind of uh, a yeah. kind of an up and coming little burg.
0: Secret location in Pittsburgh.
2: Yeah, yeah the, I like it. Uh, yeah. Got the between uh, the, the the effects studio and Sorgatron. We got like the Beachview Tech corridor. It's awesome. Yeah. Going on.
1: It's awesome, man. there's a, should be some cool media coming from this place for sure. Yep. You know they affixed me with a squib, so at any time if you uh, <laughs> if you if you put up a, a, a little finger gun, okay, blood will shoot out of my neck. <laughs>
2: already <laughs> oh already this night is turning out better than i could have
1: hoped <laughs> so let's talk comics so, man i want to go yeah, down a yeah. deep nerd rabbit hole I've, Whoa. I've, I've okay i've purposely let's do it man uh avoided um a lot of conversation in the recent weeks So i'm ready okay. to actually talk and uh i i i need this thing to uh be as nerdy as possible because that's that's kind of like you came to the right place that's how I get juiced up man to just get back to the drawing table yeah yeah okay All
0: right. I gotta situate again here get that nerd talk right well is there
2: anything is there anything specific you want to you want to lead off with or anything that you want to that's been on your mind I mean I mean, we'll talk about anything. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we always have something we can we can start with, and then if you just want to jump in on something else, like just bring up a topic. Well, that's kind of how since, we do it. Since so. it's early,
1: I think it would be end. It, it, would, it would be a bad thing to end with, you know. Rest in peace, Steve Ditko. So, so let's uh, yeah. let's acknowledge uh, the death of a of a, uh, yeah. of a of a comic book legend. Absolutely, pretty much yeah. the last of his era. Um, uh-huh. You know, with the exception of I guess Stan Lee, really. Yeah. Um, so I think that we should we should acknowledge acknowledge the man. Yeah. Um, yeah, Steve, Gitt, uh, ninety,
2: right? Ninety, 90 years, old. years old. Yeah,
1: ninety years old. Uh, you know his his uh, his office. It, it, it's it's always been in the yellow pages. He's never you know paid the money to to take it out of there. So that that uh, establishment is a kind of a cartoonist's pilgrimage. Uh, you know, if you are in New York and you are mm-hmm. in money making Manhattan, you know you look up you you open up the book and and you see. You know, Ditko S, (laughs) you know, on 42nd Street. And then you got to make the trek uh, because, you know, you go up the stairs, you get in there, you knock. And, you know, he's famously uh, kind of hermetic or however you want to call it, monastic. kind of a
2: a uh, recluse. Yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. And he's not really interested in, uh, you know, marks showing up or whatever. So, you know, you you knock and, and, and you do what you can to... Profess your love to him, (laughs) Uh, but you know you will be turned away unless you know you're Neil Gaiman and Jonathan Ross. I don't know if you guys you ever see that uh, documentary? It's floating around on YouTube in search of Steve Ditko. It's called. Oh, I I did know that. Yeah, totally incredible documentary. I. you know, if there's a hundred thousand views for that thing, so I, I account for at least ten views. I,
0: I, I did read this weekend or this week that uh, some people didn't believe that he was a real person. he's become legendary, like a mythological, oh, wow. legend kind of character. I didn't hear that. And that there's like only one picture of him floating around,
1: <laughs> and that and that it's like, like a like, lunar landing like, kind of, like Bigfoot and Loch yeah, Ness. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but you're all... here to say that you you met him in person.
1: <laughs> there there are a very few. Photos float floating around, you know, mm-hmm. all of them are from the the sixties, I guess. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But during, uh, I guess, Wizard World or whatever convention they have at David L. Lawrence Convention Center uh, in, in you know the fall or whatever, a year or two ago, I probably shouldn't mention the cartoonist's name, but but they were visiting, so me, Jim Rugg, Jason Lex, Tom shioli we were hanging out, and this dude pulls out the phone and he's like. Oh, he's like take a guess at who this is and it's like steve ditko <laughs> you know like you know a, fo- wow. a photo taken yeah. you know this su- last summer or whatever and yeah. you know and he was looking really good uh you know he looked sort of did he create the character uh the the owl from from marvel i don't think it's so, maybe not just probably like a gene colin or something but uh yeah, well, yeah wow but he had those kind of those kind yeah, of harvey yeah. p and uh, eyebrows yeah, and did, stuff. yeah. Oh, wow yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah
1: um have you guys checked out his God. black and white comics uh, of, of of recent time i've seen yeah i've seen a few yeah yeah they're
2: pretty uh yeah pretty pretty crazy they yeah they're i mean in a good way they're
1: not like, <laughs> they're, they're yeah it's hard to almost even call them comics in a way but yeah. i just i just am uh almost m- like a stream of consciousness that's a good way to put it hmm. that's a good way you ever see that stuff scott
0: Oh no, I haven't. No. I
1: think Bill Boychel carries carries okay. those comics at uh, at Copacetic, and whenever they get a new couple in, I'll I'll always grab it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy was making comics to the end, man.
0: That's, that's awesome. Yeah, um, he was uh, like co creator creator of uh, Speedball, right? Like back yeah. in the day. Yeah, yeah oh, that's like right. That, I forgot about. Which that. is you know because like that's kind of was my entry age you know into comics, so that's kind of what I that that actually is what I thought of first, which surprisingly you know even <laughs> though he created it. You know, Even know, of the other like,
2: you know, Spider-Man. Oh, just Doctor some other characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But of, I was
0: like, oh, Speedball. You know, creator Speedball. He yeah. went. He went yeah. down.
1: He went deep into the 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 Anrand uh, rabbit hole, of Objectivism or whatever mm-hmm. it's called, and and but he he kind of over time perverted it into his his own kind of logic, and the characters that he created post Spider-Man, Doctor Strange we're somewhat reflective of his ideology. Um, so, you know, you, there's, there's Mr. Ray and, and there's the question and, yeah. and he has these very rigid ideas about, you know, good and evil. Everything is, is black and white to him. But I do wonder what the heck speedball is about. <laughs> right? You know, like, like there's Hawk and Dove and, and, and you get there's the brutal guy and then there's the pacifist Wait, what's or whatever. Yeah. But, but where's the duality between, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> between you know, in the speedball character? Right? And, and I actually pose this question to... Uh, shioli and because you know he, he he's got an answer for 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 everything well, like like, awesome. like he like he's already thought about it oh yeah you know? oh because yeah he's, he's, in two right. seconds, he has an answer for something like that and he's like well you know uh children are absolved from the that I- ideological point of view because they're still growing they're still learning so he, so ditko would hold the parents to that standard but but uh, but a child like a, a kid character he's he's removed from it for a certain point or something
0: interesting yeah <laughs> that's, see i i thought of it more of like a practical um because what you know and this is me being dumb but i uh there was like a speedball ink yeah so then like somebody just you know one of the guys were just sitting around and like created started creating this character based on like what what, what would that mean name mean you know like and i almost thought like the name came first and then they created the character but now that's kind of interesting to hear it in like a reversal that he, maybe he had a he had his own process about it and then came up with that.
1: Yeah, I have no, I have like no
2: that's, idea. Like, that's that's
0: actually way better than what I thought. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering how they – I mean, again, like you said, I mean, at the time, you know, when, when Speedball first came out, like, I mean, I knew Steve Ditko, but I didn't realize who he was and, like, what he meant at that time, like, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And, like, thinking about it now, like, how did they approach him and say, hey, we want you to come up with <laughs> this – new character, and, like, I wonder if, like, they just say, go, you know, go nuts, go crazy. You come up with them, or do they give them, like, guidelines and say, yeah. this is what we're looking for?
1: I, I think the cool thing about, yeah, uh, about the, any kind of creative medium, uh, you have, you have your, your, your bean counters and your administrative types who... Mm-hmm. You know they're the ones who have the health insurance and are a part of the the <laughs> proper company. You know they are employees of right. the company. And if they could do what we do, they would do it. Right. So so we kind of we kind of hold the cards for the creative aspect of it. And if you make a hit, they can't really reverse. It. Can try as they may uh, to reverse engineer that that lightning in the bottle magic, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Uh, It generally has some kind of stink on it of uh, being derivative or corny. Um, So if you make a blockbuster, gangbuster hit for somebody – they will be willing to allow you to uh, throw a couple things at the wall. You know, you get a—it's mm-hmm. like lives in a video game, and you might you get a couple of shots <laughs> to, uh, to to recapture right. that energy or something. And uh, because they frankly can't do it, they're being counters. You know, they sit behind a mm-hmm. damn desk, yeah, yeah. Uh, pushing pushing papers and stuff. You know, so. Mm. They make they make the back end stuff work. You know the biz can't happen uh, without them. I guess. You know I, I'm I'm quite capable of taking care of my own affairs. Right. I would say. I mean
2: you you're you're, you're a one man, wrecking machine. I mean you you just do it all.
1: It's true. It's true. I, w- I would deliver the books to every shop myself if I if <laughs> I could because like, just mm-hmm. even even uh, relying on freight is <laughs> nerve wracking to me. Yeah. You know like I just want to try to do everything that I can to. to uh, to please, uh, you know, my customers, man, the, the people who support the work and kind of mm-hmm. make it possible for me to keep, keep doing it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, if, if, if you truly, like you said, if you truly take ownership of, of your work, like you said, you want to see it through to the end. You want to put it, you know, make sure it gets to where it's supposed to be. And yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah. Down to choosing the paper mm-hmm. it's printed on if possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's for too, sure. it's too bad. I can't get into the print, the print shops whenever they're, uh, Running off the books every now and then because you know I have advice for those guys too. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever have you ever uh, tried that? Have you ever approached anyone to see
2: like to get more into like the uh, the inner workings of the of the printing process? Um, th-
1: not not specifically like that. The, probably the closest I, I've ever come was being adamant about once again the, the paper that the original. A hip hop family tree mm-hmm. graphic novel was was printed on um, because when I discovered this this paper, it was um, it was a part of a uh, Space Family Robinson uh, Dark Horse reprint, and it was this really toothy, very newsprinty, except yeah. except more substantial. It okay. had a little bit more weight to it. Okay, and I just immediately knew that it was going to be good for for my hip hop comic, the aesthetic that I was trying to get get across. Uh, so I just destroyed the book. I ripped it apart and, hmm. and sent it around to try to find, you know, oh, the, no. the proper printers who, who assured me that, you know, they could, uh, they could get that kind of paper. Oh, wow. Um, you know, that's the closest I came. Okay. We sit, we sit around, you know, we're, we're making these comic books uh, where, where, where trees are being chopped down for, for our, our stuff to, to, to hit the shelves and to see the light of day. So it's like we should at least try to make beautiful books, very tactile mm-hmm, mm-hmm. experiences that that people dig, that people enjoy. And there's no greater compliment uh, when somebody comes up to my table at a convention or, or sends me a message. Uh, well, you know, th- when I when I see them in person at a convention, to see them kind of stroke the paper or something without <laughs> oh, them even right, knowing it, it, like, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it's, it's a very it's a very subconscious thing. They're they're not even verbally <laughs> com- commenting. Yeah. Uh, about it or anything like that but i just see them do that and i'm like beautiful compliment because because whether yeah. they know it or not like they like that was a decision right right and they're accepting of that decision they seem to they seem to dig it and and i mean there's no uh more tangible evidence of tactility than somebody massaging your book <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah that's has got that's a that's a that's an interesting yeah like i said it's an interesting compliment Never yeah. thought about that, but that's, uh, yeah, I mean, especially if you put that much uh, effort and thought into, you know, that that detail, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, it does mean something.
1: C- comics is just an accumulation of, of decision-making. You know, there, there are decisions uh, that are being made at, 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 at every turn, mm-hmm. and the end res- result is, is the accumulation of, of all that stuff. So there's a lot of back-end toil that... That is kind of invisible to to the reader. Yeah. Um, but very often cartoonists can kind of see, uh, mm. you know, behind the curtain, so to speak. And th- those are the kind of conversations that, that seem to come up amongst cartoonists and stuff like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, your spine looked a little, uh, you know, the spine on your book looked about, you know, a quarter inch to the left. Uh, what happened there? And, <laughs> you know, it's all education just for, for our own purposes. I mean,
2: since you're here and since it's, I mean, it's coming out soon, we might as well... Uh, get this, uh, you know, on the table too. But uh, X Men Grand Design Second Genesis, that's coming out soon, right? Yeah,
1: it is. It actually crept up on me in a way, because uh, you know I'm I'm working on a lot of things at once, mm-hmm. and by doing all the kind of creative components for for the X Men comic, there's just there's a lot of stuff on on my plate. So I'm just I'm just gro- in a groove, you know. I'm just grinding, and the turn of july it's like oh this thing's coming out in like three weeks <laughs> <laughs> you know we send it off to to the publisher it's it's remarkable how quick the turnaround is for uh for these these uh these marvel comics because uh my hip-hop stuff is uh you know it's printed in china mm. so we send it off and then you just forget about it for months yeah. <laughs> there, there are only two ways for, right. uh, for a book to get to our shores from china Either very quickly by way of airplane or a very slow very boat slow. that traverses <laughs> the Pacific Ocean. Right. Uh, so that you know they choose the latter uh, to bring the stuff over, and um, you know you just forget about it for months, and then it's it's ultimately here and it's all nice. But the turnaround for a Marvel comic, yeah, is like two weeks. Really? Wow. Yeah. Like I could work on those things, <laughs> darn near up to uh, up to the minute. You know, like. It, it goes to press and, and there's no, there's no. Um, the deadlines don't like, it still hits the stores at the time that it's supposed yeah. to hit the stores. Wow, it's pretty pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, so it print it has to print less than, so you have two weeks to print, it go might to be dist- three or yeah to go to distribution, and then go out the stores. Oh yeah, like yeah that, of the whole course. everything the whole after too it's wow, yeah yeah that's that's nuts.
1: <laughs> it is nuts. I just I just put together um, the the last sort of copy edits on on the second issue of Second Genesis. Uh, I can't wait for for people to see it because uh, that the first the first mini series. Um, I have one here. That
0: I'll just hold it up this way.
1: That, <laughs> there that, you go. That comic was was in the can for. A, a year before before it came out, um, so it, the, the art is old to me. I'm, I'm <laughs> way better right. now. I've, I've comics is professional comics like 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 mainstream Marvel DC. Especially if you're a cartoonist who who makes who does the whole package. It's a weird business because they are frankly paying me to become a way better cartoonist. Uh, the w- the way my art is going to look at the end of this tenure yeah. compared to, say, the last page of my last Hip Hop Family Tree yeah. comic, the art is just growing up, exponentially. Yeah. And the art on this next miniseries is, uh, you know, it's really close to, uh, like I said, I, I basically put pencil to paper on the last page of issue two of Second Genesis. You know, it's been maybe two months. Wow. Uh, but that's way different than twelve months, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like like the first book. Uh so I'm I'm really stoked because I I feel like I started to uh come into a groove um on the first issue of Second Genesis because uh you know, this, this second issue of the first miniseries where I'm covering the, the Jack Kirby period of X Men mm-hmm. uh up to up to when the series went into um, reprints, which is like issue 65 or whatever it was. yeah. That's a slog. Like, like I I did my best. (laughs) Like, maybe I should explain and not take for granted that, uh, you know, everybody does not know what the heck X-Men grand design is. So uh, maybe I should explain for a second. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's my kind of effort to take all the X-Men comics that I know, which is about... Two hundred and eighty issues. It's probably a little less. Extinction agenda is pretty much when I'm jacking out of the matrix. Yeah. Um, take all of that material, which becomes very cludgy, very convoluted, because like even in it, even in that span of issues, there's other mini series, and then there's adjacent series that are next to X Men like a like a X Factor. Yeah. Or right, like Excalibur. New mutants. Yeah, New Mutants. Many mini series. Uh, that have their own their own bits that are inflicted upon the overall X Men series. Uh, it gets it gets really bogged down. You know, there is about eight thousand pages of material there. Yeah. And I love the X Men. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you're on the the, the mutant side of things. Um, I was for a long time. That's that was for, my first.
0: Pretty much for that run, and I bought uh, classic X Men to catch up. Yeah. yeah. So when I jumped into it, it was about halfway through the. And then, uh, same thing when they went to, uh, Jim Lee mm-hmm. and Claremont did it for a while, but that's kind of when I, I started to get like, eh, kind of out of this. Right. I, but, uh,
2: I collected about 150 issues. I, I started at issue 207, collected up through, uh, like 300, maybe a little after, but I, and then I went back you know, and I picked up back issues to fill in. But, mm-hmm. And then, like you said, um, I classic X-Men and then, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but after uh, after three hundred, I kind of it, it didn't feel the same for me anymore.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I I I, pr- I had those issues as well. I call that um call that inertia of buying, <laughs> or in- inertia purchases, or something like that. Like you know, you it's become it, it, it was a complete habit for cheese, the first big batch of my life mm-hmm. that you just kind of stay in that routine for a little while until you're like. I'm done, man. Like, <laughs> like you know, Scott Lobdell could take a hike. <laughs> That's right, Lobdell. Yeah, I, I forgot about him.
2: Yeah, I'm probably with good reason.
1: <laughs> it's so funny because like now I'm in the game, you know, and, and just I'm I'm a comic book maker, mm-hmm. so I have to be kind of like I can't I can't express like all of my thoughts and feelings about that kind of thing.
2: Can't be too
0: honest. Right.
1: Yeah, like you just um, skirt that well, man. Well,
2: throughout so throughout this the, the, the process, which I guess we're um, coming into a year because I think it was it was really first like the first press release came out last summer, right?
1: Yeah, uh, San Diego. Yeah, San Diego. Mm-hmm.
2: So um, in the in the last year, I mean, have you gotten uh, feedback from like past creators, current creators? I mean, I, I know you spend a lot of time with with Claremont. Um, anyone else like throw their hat in the ring just to say like hey, I like what you're doing, or hey, you know, just to offer anything or ask questions or and ever hear from anybody?
1: Not really. No? Uh, it was, it's been a real pleasure getting to hang out with Chris Claremont, who was mm-hmm. the writer of the series for about 17 years, of, like, the, like the most crucial
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, era of X-Men. Uh, you know, all the, all the movies are kind of based off of stories that he wrote. To sit down and, and have these conversations with him is it's it's pretty fun. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I never bring up my comic. I don't ask if he's ever read it. In a lot of ways, I feel like he kind of shouldn't, <laughs> because I, I act as if as if I'm dating his daughter or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this is his baby, right. yeah, yeah. and I'm I'm grabbing it by the reins and, and kind of doing my thing with it, man. So it's like. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, the elephant in the room, so to speak, or whatever. But I just, you know, I am and forever hope to stay in the mindset of being a student of this form. So, as a student, you shut your mouth, you open your ear holes, and you mm. and you accept th- this wisdom of of somebody who has the scar tissue mm. to give you some 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 you know strong advice. Right. Uh, so that's the that's the manner in which, you know, I handled these these uh, encounters with with Chris, but the Second Genesis uh, miniseries is going to start with giant size X Men, you know, the introduction nice. er, of Storm and Wolverine to the to the team, Colossus, Nightcrawl, like the primo mm-hmm. content. Yeah. You know, the first issue is going to um, encompass the introduction of this new the new team. And the death of Phoenix in, in, in forty one pages, you know, see how wow. the magic is done, <laughs> yeah. you know, like something like fifty issues of, of material, <laughs> called called down into, a very tight, very lean, forty page comic story.
2: Oh wow, so that must have been a real exciting, moment when you, finally were able to dive into, that material. Like
1: yeah, that's sort of what I was what I was getting to. It's like you know you, issue two of this thing. It was a ball. It was fun, but it was way more of an editorial exercise because I had to, I had to make sense of of uh, some of that, some <laughs> of that some of that nonsense. You know, like there's there are some tough comics in that like that series at the time was kind of canceled for a reason, right? Uh, so that would be like you know the vegetables of the meal or something, and and it's like I'm just like you know. Biding my time, like licking my chops, getting yeah. ready to, you know, draw Wolverine and yeah. and uh, <laughs> the stuff that that we really like most about the X Men, because it's it's pretty much, you know, it wouldn't be controversial to say that you know like the John Byrne, uh, Chris Claremont, you know Terry Austin era was like an incredible era oh, for yeah. for uh, for that series and probably for comics in general. There was no, nothing. Nothing else really that was coming out around that time that mm-hmm. could really touch it, so it was right. you know for all intents and purposes, if, if we if we if we give context to like when those comics were coming out, they were you know the best comics on on the on the racks at the time.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, and and that that creative team basically took like the lowest selling book and made it number one. I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, like it raised yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, out of obscurity to to superstardom.
0: Let's take reprints and mm-hmm. remaster, you know, kind of thing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's
1: a, it, it, There are very few in mainstream comics. Uh, now, keep in mind, I am a Fantagraphics snob, <laughs> so I have a, a very specific standard of, like, what good comics is. And uh, for all intents, like, that run with Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Terry Austin... Tom morzikowski lettering, and Glennis, pick your surname: Glennis Ween, Glennis Oliver. <laughs> uh, that is one of the very few great collaborations in mainstream comics. There, there might be a handful of great collaborations in mainstream comics. Uh, maybe there are a handful with maybe you know a couple extra fingers, but I, I can't I can't name ten great collaborations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in mainstream comics, where everybody is firing on all cylinders yeah. and working with synergy, right? right. Because uh, especially back in those days, largely a male, a male-dominated uh, um, medium, and you really would get the sense when you read these old comics that the creators are almost—they're just trying to outshine one another rather than work in harmony. You know, the writer overwrites. The pencil are over pencils mm-hmm. the the anchor's got to add his flair to it, <laughs> and it's, it really is like a um uh what what are the language parameters of this of this uh-huh. uh, uh you can let it fly, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: I'm trying to think of a tactful <laughs> way <laughs> uh, you get the sense that that everybody's trying to show off is what I'll say yeah yeah um but you know they that was a very harmonious bunch of comics and then you also have to think about the context of of um of the work that that creative team with john Byrne that 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 the sheer the sheer amount of that body of work is incredible Mm -hmm. um the the days of future past the phoenix saga that's that material comes out in like issue one one thirty to like say one thirty seven for the phoenix and then and mm-hmm. then uh days of future passes, is issue one forty one one forty two yeah yeah, they started working together on issue one oh eight They wow. were working together for three years wow. before before they they this well was... I mean a lot of that clicked, a lot of it was yeah. cool, sure but when they really, really, really jailed, they had three years to work with each other. To get to that place where they could kind of riff, finish each other's sentences, and, and and all all of that, you know.
2: They came together and they put together not one but many legendary runs of storytelling. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I can't see any other way for that to to be accomplished, with the exception of maybe um, having direct access to between creators, where it's like we could look over each other's shoulder mm-hmm. yeah. and together maybe we can make something great. Um, but, you know, playing phone tag and, and um, having an editor be the middle middleman where, where, mm-hmm. you know, script is sent to this guy and then he sends the script with some notes to a penciler who then translates it. And then, you know, there's, there's no, there's no relationship there. Um, you know, mainstream comics de- uh, to a certain extent feel, feel cold to me and, and perhaps that's why um, I know I know um, some people who, who, have, who have dabbled in, in, in the mainstream and uh, this this one friend of mine she you know would be submitting scripts and uh, entire characters are changing like uh, the, the artist drew a completely different character in place of like oh. what she had in mind Oh. And I asked, like, well, like, you didn't call him and and, yeah. and like let him know, and she's like, I don't know if I'm allowed to. Oh wow! So oh, so geez. it's like they like to keep a little separation. I probably, I mean, if I had to, if I had to be a you know dick de- detective about it, um, maybe maybe at the corporate level they want to they want to kind of keep a little separation because what if what if Matt Fraction meets Chip Zdarsky? While they're working on some kind of Marvel thing, and then they come up with an idea called sex criminals, and then like take it to yeah. Image. I'm not saying that that's what happened. I, I, don't, I don't, yeah, know, I don't know those guys oh, in any way. Right. Okay. But I'm saying like, what if that's what if that's the the sure. the, the gimmick? But they there. thought,
0: yeah, keep them keep yeah. them apart that way they can't like
2: come up with their own. I'm a, I'm a, I, yeah, that's
1: I'm a paranoid guy, man. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're that, watching. That watching. <laughs> well, I, I
2: guess I mean I, I guess if if history shows us anything, I mean that's kind of how Image was formed. All these, you know, the, the, the image creator, the you know, the founding fathers all worked at Marvel together. And then they go off and they cr- create, you know, arguably the, you know, the biggest or most popular, you know, uh, independent comics company in the past, you know, 25, 30 years.
1: It's an incredible yeah. company. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really remarkable just in terms of, of media in general because there's no real profit motive behind that company. So as a creator, like one can really prosper in a big way. You know, they don't take ownership of film or TV; mm-hmm. um,
2: right. they're just the vessel,
1: yeah, and to, it, to, right,
2: to, to get the comics out there. And they
1: make a nominal amount off of mm-hmm. off of uh, you know the the, the 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 work that you put out through them. And and um, it's it's there isn't another company like that in in media. You know, like imagine if there if there was a um if if a, there was a record label that was like that that was a successful record label, mm-hmm. you would have more billionaire um, musicians. You know, when there used to be a music industry and yeah. records were selling like crazy and yeah. everything like yeah. that, like uh, you know, you would have.
0: So image Image seems like they treat it more like a studio instead of a a business. So like, hey, everybody, not that they not you know not immediately in the physical sense, but. That everybody kind of has their creative.
1: They're just like this. Freedom, there. They're 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 this provider. It's almost like a built-in Zurich grant or whatever. Do you guys remember the Zirik? Oh yeah, yeah, Peter Laird. Yeah, Peter Laird hits hits uh, a blockbuster with a little comic called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then becomes <laughs> insanely guilty about being a complete zillionaire. That he just every couple of years, uh, like like a like a, a couple of times a year, mm-hmm. you know, five or six people would get the Zaret Grant for self publishing, right. and he would he would peel them off a little five thousand dollar check or whatever <laughs> man, to, to, to just to just uh, feel less guilty about about being uh, it's
2: like survivor's guilt. Totally, yeah. Yeah. totally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bless them. Bless them. You know, there's yeah. b- there's no less than three people in Pittsburgh who benefited from that thing. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. Absolutely. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, uh, Wayne. 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 Wayne Wise Myers. from Phantom. Got got Zerrick Grant number one. That's right. He was the first one. Yeah. Rachel Masalamani. Yes. Like RPM that. Comics. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shioli. Yep. Myth of Eight Opus. Yep. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I was in high school yeah. when uh, Tom Shiely got that uh, got that uh, grant. Oh wow! And I had the uh, the, the Codex Pop um, mini comics that he was uh, doing, and and like the the, the hand stapled, uh, I guess eight Opus comics at the time. And then mm-hmm. and then you you would read in the few tra- trade publications or whatever who who were the recipients of um, the Zurich, you know that for that quarter or that half a year or whatever it was, you know, being like Comics Buyers Guide, which it w- what was the weekly uh, newspaper? Um oh, uh, Comic Shop News. Co- no, 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 no. Like, like bigger. It's totally like oh. tabloid. Um, uh. I think it was co- Comics Buyer's Guide. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. back yeah, then. Yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like uh, in there you would see, you would read articles about the recipient of, like, the newest uh, yeah. Xerix. And, and when Tom got it, and it said, like, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, like, that, that just blew my mind. It's like, oh, man, there's somebody who's actually making comics in this town. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we live in a very um, – a very privileged time where where niche you know cultures can can kind of find one another mm-hmm. i mean we mm-hmm. are we are at this very moment it's it's uh it's monday right mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Monday, yeah, it's monday uh, hot, hot hot off the heels of uh anthrocon <laughs> yeah in uh downtown downtown pittsburgh you know mm-hmm. like the, the furries are able to find one another and yeah. and decide on pittsburgh so it's like it's a really privileged time that we we live in because for probably the first twenty years of my life, I don't think I talked about comics with with anybody. Right. You know, I, it was completely uh, so some, just something I kept to to myself in a way. Yeah, I was the same way. I was I was shocked and a little.
2: I felt almost bad when I when I finally did find the comics community. I felt guilty for not having found it sooner.
1: Like I should have tried harder
2: because it's not like I wasn't going to comic shops um, I really wasn't going to um, a lot of shows That it wasn't really until I met like uh, Scott and uh, Brian Babiak and Barry Lane yeah we kind of I, I, they were pretty much the ones that introduced me to Pittsburgh Comic Con like I, I really had no concept of Pittsburgh Comic Con um, and like I said it wasn't for lack of going to uh, comic stores or I mean I was collecting comics from like 1986 uh, until present but um yeah it was like when I found the comics community in Pittsburgh I was like where have you guys been
1: can you can yeah, you define can you define uh, a comics community because because I actually don't think I'm a part of it like like I know, like, I <laughs> know. <laughs> well
2: yeah I, I guess I, I for me it's not so much like anything that's organized but more like you know people that you can just meet and you gravitate towards like you know I I actually met Scott and Brian through a mutual friend, and it just and then we ran into Phantom of the Attic one day.
1: I remember seeing and you guys at Phantom of the Attic for for at least I mean, twenty years was, at this point. Right, yeah. that
0: was our Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday nights every
2: yeah every Wednesday every
0: Wednesday for yeah,
2: weekend and week out. Um, but it was just uh, like you said. I mean, not specifically. Um, I mean, we did work together on some some comics and some comics projects, and we'd get together and just do like, you know, all day drawing sessions and mm-hmm. hang out and but it was just um just being able to sit down with a with a bunch of guys and like we'd we'd get our comics and then we'd go uh right down the street to Lulu's Noodles.
1: Oh yeah yeah and uh
2: <laughs> you know w- order some food and we would just sit and talk about comics for two hours. Yeah. And th- I never I hadn't had that since like junior high when when uh my friends and I, you know, collected comics, and we didn't even really talk about them that much. Like, we read them, we talked about what we liked, but we didn't really get into the nitty-gritty of... of co- mm-hmm. It was almost like we didn't know how to discuss comics. It was <laughs> Because it was a
0: personal thing, because I think because right. so long, well, plus like, through high school, you would read it, and you would... you put it away. You would think about it for yourself and not talk to anybody well, and, about and, and it. And so. comics still
1: had that stigma of being nerdy. Yeah. What, what is... You know, I'm, I'm 35 years old. What, what is our age gap
2: oh uh 46 44 yeah, yeah. So, so so about 10 years yeah, you know, give, yeah we'll, yeah, give we'll or take. say
1: um while while i was coming up there actually like there there was like that stigma is gone yeah uh, because yeah. because i am in you know third fourth grade when 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 image happens uh death of superman is around that time period and um, okay, the speculator boom. Okay, so the the adults took Sounds all the like fun out of uh, like baseball card <laughs> collecting for little kids, and then they and then they left that that hobby just a, a dead husk, and they like locusts just jumped onto comics, mm-hmm. and created that speculator boom um, that that I kind of grew up inside of, yeah. and so. Many many kids were um, like I never I never was treated like a dork or whatever for messing with comics because even jocks uh, collected comics. I, I learned about Image Comics because of the football players at Still Valley High School oh, wow. who had yeah definitely, they, definitely didn't have that yeah <laughs> yeah they they never opened the damn things and they would get that weekly price guide thing that comic yeah. buyers guide and, and Wizard magazine and then mm-hmm. they would you know calculate their net worth. Uh, week week in week out, but uh, you know by you know how how uh, much more valuable their issue of, of brigade was worth uh, oh my God. Th- this week compared to Uh-oh. to last week or whatever. So it's like I, I lived, I came up through that. Uh, I, I never, I never even knew about comic shops. But once again, those guys they didn't read the thing. But I'm, what I'm saying is they never made me feel bad for, mm-hmm. for che- checking it out. Um, but until I was about twelve thirteen. Um, I didn't even know about the existence of of comic shops. Period. Like I never thought to look in the yellow pages under C for comics" or right. or anything. It just it yeah. just never occurred to me uh, because yeah. I just I kind of you know I had access to plenty. You know, just go to the grocery store with yeah. mom or whatever. There'd right. be three or four or five spinner racks. Yeah. Uh, you know, rest in peace, Toys R Us. Yeah. Uh, there would be there would be a section. You know, it, it would generally be. Uh, at least the one that was in West Mifflin, it would be on the, the opposite side of where you would grab your pool tabs for video games. You oh, remember, right. like, you yeah. like, you, there would be, like, the little ticket that you yeah, would have yeah, to yeah. take to the front. Like, <laughs> I, w- I, w- I would like Blaster Master. And you pull the little paper <laughs> ticket, and you give it to them, and then they go in the back and, and get the damn cartridge for you. But, like, mm-hmm. on the direct opposite side of, like, the last video game uh, aisle would be the... the uh, the comic section, which had very little foot traffic, you could tell it was almost dark. It was almost like not light, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all the comics were in disarray. But you know, that's where I grabbed uh, comics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually, because this thing is celebrating a, a 25th anniversary, I actually remember what brought me into Phantom of the Attic for the very first time. Do you remember your your first comic shop uh, purchase?
2: first i'll I'll tell you i'll tell you mine i'll tell
1: you you mine mine first (laughs) okay so so uh that and it's not even a comic the the anime ninja scroll is celebrating its 25th anniversary release that's 25th anniversary release in uh in in japan uh it came it came to america two years later in in its legal form and the way that i was i discovered that anime was on uh mtv there was a there Was a. Uh, every now and again, they would do this. This, uh, you know, on like Memorial Day, Labor Day, they would have animation uh, marathons mm. and where they would play like Liquid Television yeah. Yeah. and, um, you know, the, the head. Yeah, the oh, head and I the max. The head. The, uh, that, the head and the max had yeah. that. Two, yeah, two, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, I think those would One, come later, punch. but like there was yeah. Brothers Grunt. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, they would have these animation things, with Speed Racer. Uh, but in mm-hmm. between. When they would, uh, as bumpers, when they would get go to commercial and when they come come back from commercial, they would just show a little snippet from Ninja Scroll. And it blew my mind so much. I've never seen anything that looked, you know, like in America, beautiful animation was consigned to like Disney stuff. And that shit is corny. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I, I could care less about ta- talking teacups tea and all that. <laughs> yeah. um, but to see incredibly beautiful animation – with dudes with swords and crazy weapons and, you know, things that I was into, that blew my mind. So at the end of every show during that uh, that marathon, uh, it w- they would run the credits for the show, and then there would be a separate, like, very small little credit section for for the Ninja Scroll yeah. bits, you know, these five-second things. I needed it. Mm-hmm. I had never seen anything so incredible, and I that is when I busted out the Yellow Pages. Okay. And you know i maybe i looked up animation first and it said animation c comics or something yeah, like that and yeah. then i'm like what are you kidding me i uh, went to comics started calling eyes and uh and, and phantom and i called these shops every single day for about a year and a half uh, mm-hmm. i was just a totally insane over this thing it's the first time i ever kind of investigated something for myself you know, I sort yeah. of pride myself on unearthing really weird stuff, and that was the first time I really like started to you know not accept that everything worth having is at Century Three mall <laughs> yeah. or something you know yeah, what i 'm talking yeah. about yeah. Um, so eventually, I would call you know every couple of days or something, and eventually they were like yes it 's going to be here." Three months, you know, because because you know you got you got oh, the, yeah. the the previews yeah. uh, thing or whatever, you know, the distributor got right. It'll be here in three months, and that three months was was uh, not not too much earlier than my birthday, uh, whatever year that it was nineteen ninety three. Um, so that is the first purchase I made from Phantom of the Attic, wow. which would be the first purchase I made from a comic shop, and I was born in nineteen eighty two, so I was like eleven years old, you know, like about to, about to turn yeah. twelve.
0: Oh my! Yeah, I'm trying to think back.
2: Well, I I kind of had a combination of of experiences. So um, I did go to Id's when it was. And it, do you remember? Ed, do you remember its old location?
1: Uh, it was always like when I was a kid. It was on the corner. It was so I I don't remember Federal Street or anything like that. Okay,
2: because I when I first went there, it was. It was still on Penn Avenue, but it was further, further down Penn Avenue, in, in what's now yeah. known as like the cultural district.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't like the one that was like just three doors down. Mm-mm. Okay, yeah, no. I never knew about that location actually.
2: And it was, uh, I, I never thought of it as a actual like a com- I mean, I knew they had comics, I never thought of it as a comic book store because they had literally everything there, and everyone was there buying vinyl, and movies, and magazines, and comics. Um, but I, I, I guess I, I never thought of it. I never considered it a comic book store. I just thought, oh, it's this cool place that mm-hmm. carries comics. Um, and then at uh, Parkway Center Mall, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, was that fan of the attic. But before it actually had a storefront, it was like it almost had like this flea market vibe where it was like in, it was like there was a space cut into a wall, and they just had uh, like some folding tables. And, like, a little table with a cash register, and they had some racks with comics. It wasn't even, like, a proper store. Like, they had no door. There was no, you know, I don't know what they did every night, if they just threw sheets over it or (laughs) or whatever (laughs) the hell. Um, And then finally, um, in the, geez, when was this? I guess late 80s, um, maybe, like, 89, 90, uh, Time Tunnel opened up in Castle Shannon, which was um, less than a mile away from, from my house. Oh. and I can't remember Man. specifically <laughs> what I started buying there, but um, that was, I mean, that was my place. I mean, you know, if, if, during the summers, like, if my mom tried to find me, she knew to call the comic book store <laughs> because we would just be there, like, we, we'd get up, my, my friend would call me. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm heading to the time tunnel. I'm like, I'm, I'll meet you there, and we would just hang out. We'd read comics, we'd buy our comics. Would Then we um, started getting into Magic, yeah. Magic the Gathering. We started playing that, and we would be there. All day, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, that was my place. And then it uh, wasn't until the early 2000s when I discovered uh, Phantom yep. in Oakland, which I, I had been to a couple of times, but then I actually started uh, working in Oakland,
1: and I would just go there either on my lunch or I would stop after work.
0: Man, I'm thinking back, but I... Uh, I,
1: I remember seeing you definitely for 20 years at least, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. Into the 90s. Yep.
0: Yeah, I actually got to Pittsburgh in 95 and was hitting all the stores then, but before that, um, I I actually have to give probably give credit to my mom more than anybody else for getting me into comics, because she worked in a craft shop right beside the newsstand in my hometown, and so she, you know, it was like, I think it was Tuesday afternoon, they would put the new books out, and she would grab, you know, Star Wars, Transformers, and G.I. Joe for me every week, and... um you know that was that was my th- you know like that's what i wanted at the time and then um immediately upon employment like when i was 16 i dove into um the inferno storyline from x-men <laughs> and i bought mm-hmm. every crossover that like that month or two three months or whatever it was i bought every single one and then that kind of launched me into um buying everything like you know just growing out from there but um my first actual comic book store was probably about a year after that, and I went to um, uh, Patty's Paperbacks in Penn State, and long gone, long gone mm-hmm. store now. And there, I, they may or may not have a, a location in Lock Haven as well, or it was another store, but my, a friend of mine from high school made a journey and we stayed at his aunt's house so that we could specifically go to the comic book store <laughs> and i picked up i remember picking up um uh, i think i was trying to get back issues of excalibur which i had I had started buying it with issue four and so i was like i have to get the first three and then i realized that there were you know the captain britain trades and i was like well i have to get those too you know and it was like mm-hmm. that's and then i started working backwards i think at that point and then yeah, I mean, X-Men uh, was a huge influence uh, starting out for me, I would say. But, uh, yeah, Inferno just, yeah, I mean, literally just lit it up for me. <laughs> so I was like, I got to. I remember know, really you know, loving the, uh, the
1: the Daredevil issues of Inferno drawn by uh, John, John Romita Jr. That's what and, hooked me. Uh, yeah. That's
0: exactly it. And Al Williamson. And Al Williamson
1: Inkin. And Nocenti on the writing chores for that Spe-
0: thing. Speaking of a good, yeah, like a good team. That was a That was a great era. They didn't. They uh, they they were kind of thinking like, how do you top Frank Miller at that time? And they came out with a solid, like a solid run.
1: Yeah, I like so. it. So I like it. I uh, when when I was a kid, st- starting to get insanely serious about drawing comics, I would I would copy uh, whole issues of, of of comics that I liked, mm-hmm. and there was the the one uh, issue of Daredevil from from that period where where I. Uh, the splash page is – he's he's running, and there's all this paper blowing around, and he's like – it's a dream sequence, and he's standing on, like, a pipe, and there are all these kind of uh, nuclear reactor exhaust uh, uh, chimneys, like, yeah. all around. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I, I drew that whole issue. I still have two pages oh, of it. Oh, like, like, I'll uh, I share them on, on Facebook every now and then. And in fact, That's in fact uh, uh, Jim Rugg was just at the house yesterday, and, and we were going through um, some artist editions. And and that that batch of issues came up um, because because there's I, I got this one artist edition um, which for the people at home who don't know are it's like this new format of of book that has been introduced into the comics industry maybe five years ago where um, the idea is that they being the publisher scan every like you know a, a mass of pages at their original size in color so that you see all the flaws and imperfections and mm-hmm. brush strokes and eraser marks and pencil yeah. pencil uh, marks uh of of the original piece of artwork it would right. look the same in this book as it does on a gallery wall or in person yeah uh and i it's a big addiction of mine um i i, I adore these things they're so instructive i i i uh i look at them as uh you know, biblical tablets. They are massive. Or something. Mm, well. Uh, but one of the newest ones I got is a uh, Marvel covers from, uh, the coats called modern oh. day or something. And yeah. there then there was like, uh, some JRJR Typhoid Mary era daredevil yeah. co- uh, cover. So, so then yeah. like I bu- had a bust out. I'm like, yeah, man, check it out. dude! I, I redrew this one when <laughs> oh, I, in 1995. <laughs> <That's awesome.
2: laughs> Those are always fun to, and
1: I, I know the one you're talking about
2: because I think we, um, we got a, a preview copy of it from IDW. Nice. And I, I spent just a, like a couple hours just going through it. And um, w- what you don't see anymore because uh, so many artists do, you know, do it digitally. Yeah. Is you don't see you know errant or stray pencil marks. You don't see white out. You don't. see There's no
1: t- tangible. There's no a- paste anything. ups.
2: There's no like. There's look, no paper. Yeah, like you, you, you can see where. They paste up the, the the book's logo or where the the corner cover art's supposed to go, and yeah, you just I, I miss that stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, it's you know uh-huh. I was telling my guys like when I when there's a movie that's out, like I just go see it. Like I don't I don't really I don't call anybody mm-hmm. and like try to make a whole thing out of it because it's like I'm not like. I'm not going to sit there and talk to each other anyhow. So like, what what do I care? Like I'm just going to go see what I want. And and I don't need to like go to art shows for a social aspect. So that's what those books are to me. It's like my own personal art show. Uh, So when I'm in the mood or when I have some time because they are a time distortion device if there ever was one because when you pull one of those things out of their cardboard box – Kiss three hours away, <laughs> for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I have to be choosy when I break them out. Yeah. But when I do, I'm there for hours, and and I, just through osmosis, I feel like when I close the book again, I'm walking away a better artist, just from. Well, well, you even said right. they're
2: they're 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 educational. They for are them, for the most part. I mean, they're, yeah. It's like you're you're getting, you know, if you open one of those. Up, you'll see like in the margins, and you'll see notes like handwritten. You know, just like you get this, you know, this inside uh, knowledge, or this, uh, you know, of, of what they were thinking or what they were trying to do on that page at that time.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. And 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 you know, it's at, at every level. So, if there's an artist you like, you're taking a look at, at their work at um, 100% the size that the art is. Mm -hmm. So if you want to achieve something similar and you have a certain set of tools that you use for, say, inking or something like that, and it's like, okay, I am not achieving as skinny a line as he's using right here, and I've been chasing this line. You know, I think a a lot of cartoonists, that's, that's kind of like, a part of uh, it's not the most important part, but it's definitely one of those things where everybody's kind of chasing their perfect line and yeah. trying to figure out how to <laughs> how to uh, you know yeah. the, the proper tool to to achieve yeah. those ends. And uh, you know, like that can help with that a little bit. So like that's just like but one of the many reasons why I uh, pour over those things, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I have like twenty of them at this point. And it's like, what do you do? Like, where where do you stack them? <laughs> so ultimately, like, if if we were to uh, go on location, uh, and we were to like travel to, to my to my place, yeah, you know, I work from home, but you would see no evidence of the place where we're at being any kind of dwelling. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is a my house is a comic book making factory.
0: Yeah,
1: like I am all in yeah you know Mm -hmm. i totally dedicate myself to this craft and if you pop in the in the crib it'll show like there's no couch because Mm -hmm. then i can't like put my giant racks that i have like all my long boxes and stuff and i it's just important for me to surround myself with inspiration right you know so Mm -hmm. i'll spend a big part of comics and comics making is um Is looking at comics, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, just Mm -hmm. like seeing seeing what's out there. Seeing, you know, if we if we are all uh, if we are all endeavoring into kind of like growing and evolving, the only way that you do that is to take the best of what has been presented before, slough off the garbage, and then do your own presentation. You Mm -hmm. know, try to like Mm -hmm. learn from the past, do your own presentation invariably it's, you're going to include your own mistakes mm-hmm. but in order to push things forward you take from what's been handed down and then you build on top of that and i don't know how else you can do that without surrounding yourself mm-hmm. with that kind of material uh you know it's like being a dj or something i equate it with that in a lot of ways where it's like i'm surrounded by my by my records and um Every now and then, there's a, there's a panel or two that 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 comes up and and it's like, well, how do I, how do I accomplish this in an interesting way? Well, you know what? There was that one Gene colin issue of Daredevil <laughs> that that uh you know he he you know at least in my mind's eye it sort of was like this. So then you pull that out, you go down that rabbit hole for yeah. an hour, and yeah. then and then you have a new visual tool set to yeah. uh, to attack the page. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a big part of my process.
0: Yeah. Makes sense.
1: The hip hop Mm -hmm. comic actually made it made me more comfortable doing that, because I was studying hip hop and, and, and DJ culture and just the idea of sampling, and how the end result of a rap record is completely divorced from the source material. It is a new thing, so why not, you know, take this Mobius tree that he drew in, mm-hmm. you know, Arzach or whatever. And, you know, that could kind of go here. Um, you know, the way the way Jaime Hernandez drew, drew male figures' eyeballs at, like, a certain distance in 1983, because it, oh. it was different <laughs> from, like, 1985. Yeah. Like, maybe I'll use... I like the way those eyes looked. Like, that, that, that is what my style is. It's yeah. just my own like it's it's my own kind of perverse version of mm-hmm. you know this conglomeration of like all my favorite cartoonists yeah. you know just like still because i'm i am uh an admitted kind of slow learner like it it takes me a long time like i kind of meander and i daydream and you know i'm i'm I don't think I would be diagnosed like, like ADHD or anything like that, but I just, I am a slow learner. It takes me a long time to figure stuff out. I acknowledge this. (laughs) Um, so why not steal from the best? Yeah. You know, take a couple, take a couple, (laughs) uh, you know, NES cheat codes, man. And, and, (laughs) and, uh, you know, push forward that way. Well, I think I heard you, I don't know if it was
2: on another, I I might've listened to you on another, uh, podcast or maybe it was an interview or something I read, but, um, I remember you talking about, uh, in the last issue of Grand Design, some of your influences in that issue. And I, I remember, like, you were talking about it, and I was, I, I'm, I'm blanking now, so maybe you can fill me in. But I was, I remember going through that issue, and I'm like, oh,
1: yeah, I can see that, and that, you know. There's a really good one in here. Um, can, can I check that yeah, thing yeah. out? And
0: We're yeah, it's a little delayed there, but yeah. you'll see it.
1: So, let me hold this up. And Dan, you tell me if it can, it's visible. Uh, we want we want um, this panel. This one over here, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. I can see it. It's uh, Oh, it's this. Yeah.
1: Okay, this panel. You mm-hmm. see the the kissing couple right there? Yeah. That is taken from a Saturday Evening Post Norman Rockwell cover. <laughs> um, you know, I needed like a colonial looking guy, and a mademoiselle you know, embracing <laughs> yes. and I'm like searching all over the place, like trying to find something that would work. And there was, there was just a perfect Norman Rockwell Saturday evening post cover that, that handles. So it's like, it goes beyond comics, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's Katsuhiro Otomo, Akira, uh, in, in there. There's, there's Air uh, Tintin in there.
2: Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's, um, there's, uh, there's a little Mobius piece, man. Like, uh, if I have to draw castles, I'll take a look at how how Foster delineated castles in Pen and Ink in, from in his How Foster, uh, excuse me in his uh, in his Prince Valiant comics. Like I'll do that. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, maybe you know like I, I I won't necessarily if I look at a photo of a, of a castle I don't know that I would come up with such interesting details or something like I have kind of a soft focus. You know quite quite blind in a lot of ways like you know my prescription is thick (laughs) (laughs) so I just won't see a lot of detail and things Um, but yeah it's like a DJ
2: hey guys thanks for listening to the first part of our conversation with Ed Pisker stay tuned next week for part two in the meantime you can find more episodes of comic book pit at comicbookpit.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and of course on sorgatronmedia.com.